Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a Thursday edition of the program. Cleveland Browns Daily brought to you by Jack, your official entertainment partner. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Bo. How are you doing today? You know, not bad. It was, I'm telling you, uh, pretty bonkers waking up to a, a white Christmas. That was a lot. Uh, uh, it, that was a was bit quite star, a lot. Uh, a jarring. <laughs> it was quite a lot. It was a very strange scenario, I found, in fact, that here we were, you know, waking up and, and there are two to three inches of snow out on the ground and right. saying, what, what the heck's going on here? Like, is, this is April. We're a week out from the draft. It was almost... This whole thing is so surreal, right? Like uh, the way we're living, all of it. All of and it. then if you, if all of a sudden you wake up um, on a Thursday in the middle of April to find three inches of snow, it was almost like, am I in the right place? Is, is this a dream? Am I where I need to be? And sure enough, and apparently more is on the way. Could we? Could I, if I look, pay attention to my own Doppler, I have my own personal Doppler, as you know, um, it, possibility for more of this tomorrow. Yeah, a, a few more inches, in fact, tomorrow. Like, okay, I'm done with it. We're a week from the draft. We're, we're struggling enough, and I see my friends who are in California. I was talking with, uh, yeah. with Mike yesterday, and he's out there. It's 75 and sunny and beautiful, and then I got a, buddies in Florida, and, and you know, uh, one of the players yeah. we're talking with, Chris Hubbard, for the Browns uh, Dog Pound Pop Quiz. He's down in, in Georgia, Alpharetta, Georgia, and all you see are blue skies and sunny and you know, this is a tough enough time. We need to give us some of the goodness here. Let us enjoy this a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that would be nice to be able to do those things. And um, and it's I, I will say this, though, that it is – and now it seems like it's a little bit of a mix, but um, it was a nice wake. I will take a little bit of snow if there's sun. I, I the, the vitamin D is important. Yeah. So, it was good to have a little bit of sun this morning, even if it is even if it is cold. And it looks like next week we're going to get it sorted out just in time uh, for the draft. And it's hard to believe, but we are a week away. Uh, the first round of the NFL draft is a week from today, my friend. I know, and I cannot wait. Uh, I'm excited to see what direction the Browns go. I actually did a, a, a hit with our buddy Ben Albright in Denver yesterday. Nice. And uh, he was telling me that they very much – are covetous of moving up into our picket number 10. They want to get ahead of the Jets. And so that that is something that, you know, they're exploring, they being the Denver Broncos. And I was trying to just say, oh, interesting. You know, you wonder if it, it, at that point, if you could still get the tackle, you would get at 10, if you would still be able to get him at 15. And, I, I you know, looking at it, it seems like it certainly is possible. Um, but also, you know, you would have the opportunity to move again, I would imagine, and still get a, an Austin Jackson or an Ezra Cleveland. So there are teams that do want to get up. And, and number 10, he said that was the spot that they were looking to get teams that want to get ahead of the Jets, teams that want receivers. So uh, I think that's something interesting to keep an eye on and monitor there. Yeah, I, it's interesting that Ben said that, and and that you were, I, you've seen that around a little bit. That's starting to make the rounds a little bit. Of, of Elway really has a has a focus on a receiver, and the idea of being able to pick the receiver he wants, and what would be required to do that would be a move up to ten. Um, it obviously we we've talked about that a lot about the possibility of moving back and and maybe getting the tackle you went all along. Um, we spent we've spent a lot of time talking about those four big tackles, but with the Broncos pick, there's not even a guarantee that one of those one of those four may still be there. Uh, but even if they're not, now you're talking into the Jones Cleveland type. Those are the names that you start to see. 
The other thing you could say, which I would think would be possible, is then maybe at that point you would go safety or something else at that position and then maybe reintroduce yourself um, into, this, into the second round with, um, with, with tackle there. Right, and I think that's one of the, one of the things that we've talked about. Maybe you love Xavier McKinney. Maybe we don't know that. Maybe yeah. they love Xavier McKinney, and they say, "Okay, we're going to get him," and then move back in and be able to get you know one of the tackles, as you point out. So lots of scenarios. I'm excited to see how these guys operate in, in this. Yeah. I'm excited to see how this all plays itself out, and, and what exactly you know Andrew Barry and company what they do when it's all said and done here. Because I think we're in a good position, as I said. Uh, you feel that this group is incredibly prepared and ready to you know make the best uh, of this scenario whereas you think maybe some other teams are going to be not quite as prepared to do so yeah yeah that's that that is something and it the, the feeling is that, that that you'll be that there's a chance to be pretty active here and very comfortable in being active paul de is going to talk today i saw at some I point this afternoon that. yeah some point this afternoon, I believe uh, at around 2.30 today, uh, Depot, I, I think that's the time, uh, we'll be speaking with the media. So I don't know. I know that we have such a loaded up show. I don't know if we're going to get that. And it's always tough with those conference calls for us to take those live anyway. Um, so right. I don't know what the plan is there, but I'm, I'm very interested to see what he has to say. And, you know, Gibbe, I'm sure, will give us direction on what that ultimately is going to be. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be great to hear from him. And this is, you know, somebody that I think is going to shed some light on AR process, but B also – you know, without giving it away, I think you're going to get a sense that, yeah, they've identified things in this draft class, et cetera, as you've seen them do in, in free agency, that are going to give us a, a nice advantage when it's all said and done. One thing you could say about this group is there is a plan, uh, and they stick to it. There's a pretty determined and intricate plan, and it's, it'll be stuck yes. to whatever it is. And my guess is next Thursday goes that way as well as we get into the OBM Hot Topics. Ohio Business Machine, preferred copy or provider of your Cleveland Browns for all the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. As I mentioned, one week from today is the NFL Draft. Gibbe wants to know, what's the bigger question on your mind? Who will the Browns take, or will they stay at number 10? So, again, it's not possible to know these types of things. We have to see what the, what the situation is when you know, we get there. But if you're saying today, what do I believe? Um, will, they, will they stay at number 10? Will they trade out? I'm more inclined to think right now, I'd put it at 60-40, they make a pick at 10. I certainly think it, the options are, are wide open. And part of it is you don't know what's going to happen with Tua, right, Bo? I mean, I think oh, Tua – so many variables <laughs> – Tua being on the board at 10 yeah. could change a lot of things. Uh, Tua, I don't think he will be, but yeah. I don't think he will be either, but there's a, a lot of mock drafts. And Peter Schrager, when he puts out his mocks, and I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later today, um, but when he puts out his mock drafts, He's always, every year, one of the most accurate. Now, this is his second to last one. He's, he will be putting out one more next week, which is the one that he will be being totally evaluated on. But he, again, has Herbert going uh, to Miami before Tua, who ends up going to the Chargers in this scenario. But I think there, there are some concerns about Tua and his health and, and how that is going to affect this draft class. Now, Dan Orlovsky went on Dan Patrick's show today. Yeah, and basically said if a team takes Herbert before to it means they're scared and they they'd rather have mediocrity than a chance to be great. I agree with him. I agree with him. I think he has it right. I I think that the difference between the two of them in terms of playing the position. Now I'm not going to minimize the gamble on Tua his health. You can't, and I won't. It's real. He's been banged up a lot. I think I think I would have major questions about a kid 
who has had that type of major injury in three years of college playing a position that is protected as much as the quarterback position is. That being said, the difference between him playing quarterback and Herbert playing quarterback are uh, apples and orangutans. It's, it doesn't even, it's, it's so different. Herbert is not – his accuracy on deep throws, medium throws, um, he's not calm under pressure. He is not – in the big moment, um, to me, he I agree with Orlovsky. I, I think he's he'll he'll play a while in the league. He's a good kid. He's got a big arm. He's that, those type of things. I do not. From what I saw from him in college, I would be shocked if if he was a franchise quarterback in the National Football League. Meantime, I could see it with Tua. I just don't know about the health. I mean, and I think that's real. If you're if you're the Dolphins, I think it's real to say to yourself, look, we have three ones. We can draft three positions of need in a loaded draft. And we could come back next year and be in the market for Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they could play that game, and that might be a smart one to play if you don't love, if you don't love who you're taking at five at quarterback. That might be a smart, smart game to play. Or at that last pick in the first round, maybe make, take a flyer on Jordan Love uh, at that point, where you see if he's somebody that maybe you can develop a little bit. Right, and and there are a lot of options for at this quarterback. Unfortunately, the best part is for us as Browns fans is that we're not involved in it whatsoever, and I think that is a great thing for us. You know, it's in, there are people that do like Herbert. Uh, the Chargers, we know, like him quite a bit. We'll see what ends up happening there, but there are some intriguing prospects behind it, and even your guy Jacob Eason, you know, yeah. not, he's getting no buzz, but a team is going to get a chance to take him, I would say, second round. And maybe he ends up being somebody uh, pretty darn good down the so line. He certainly has there's the an size example, and the arm. There's an example of someone who, to me, is the same as Herbert. I mean, I think that's the same guy to me. So one For some reason that one's... he's not considered that around the league. Well, I don't know what that I, I is. Think, well, I think because of what happened to him in college. So he's at Georgia. He starts as a true freshman. Going into his sophomore year, he starts, gets hurt. Fromm comes in. Fromm leads them to the national championship game, uh, which they lose to Alabama in a classic game where Tua actually throws the game-winning touchdown. Of course. He transfers, sits a year, goes to Washington, then just plays last year in Washington, and that's it. He was the number one overall prospect in the country coming out of high school. He showed big promise at Georgia. He's got a big arm at Washington. They were not as good a team as Oregon was, but he suffers a lot of the same mistakes that Herbert does. Um, to me, I've seen a lot of both of them. They're really similar players. Um, whereas Herbert was somebody that we saw at one place consistently throughout. They're both big guys, big arms, and yet they both do some things where you go, wow, what, what are you thinking there? And, and, and there's a lot of similarities between the two players. Do you wonder if Eason or do you worry about Eason maybe being too big? No. Uh-uh. No, because he's, he's, he's not over like six, that. He's over 6'6". He's 6'6 and three quarters, which would, that puts him pretty – there aren't a lot of quarterbacks that have had success no, at that height. Yeah. 6'6 six, six and three quarters? Yeah, I'm pulling it Is that right official? Now. I believe so. I thought that he was 6'5". God, that's that would be then. I, I thought he was 6'5". Hold on. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give you – give me a second to get it here. My yeah. computer is being crazy. No worries. Yes, yeah, I, I, I didn't have him – I would be shocked if he was that tall. I, I definitely didn't think he was that tall. Um. Yeah, I guess he's listed at six six. Let's see what he measured out on the draft combine. Um, now that that is, yeah, they list him out at six six. That that's that's a good point. I didn't realize it was quite that. I thought he was six five. Should that matter though? I mean, I know that it does on some level because yeah. of just history. But is there really that much of a difference between somebody being six six and 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 six five? 
<laughs> no, you know what I mean? Be. Like, why Not is that? You, yeah, it's one inch. Like, what difference? I guess Herbert's six six two, so it doesn't matter. Herbert's Same. six six two, right? And then, and then Eason, what did he come out at? Did you say six 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 six? So they're the same. Yeah, they're both tall. They're they're very. I agree with you in the sense that they're very very similar. And it's interesting, you know. You look at Herbert two years ago. Herbert's been pretty consistent in terms of, you know. I think one of the things that has elevated him this year is that two years ago completes sixty percent of his passes, twenty nine touchdowns, eight picks. Last year, sixty seven percent completions, thirty two and six. So he improved accuracy, and I think that's something that they really look at, those numbers. Now, Eason, yeah. in his own right, 64%, 23-8 last year, uh, and looked good. Maybe, is he not considered to be, and you watched this more, so this is me speaking with zero knowledge, yeah. that he was not, he's not quite as fluid of an athlete as Herbert, because they do talk about Herbert's movement abilities and et cetera quite a bit in some of his write-ups. Yeah, I mean, Eason is, Eason is if Eason came out, if this is a draft you know, 20 years ago, like he's straight out of central casting. Yeah. Remember we talked about that at the combine. Yep. Like he's everything. He's in that Manning look, you know, that at Brady, that type of look. Um, no, he's not, he's not going to take off and run probably the way Herbert, but neither one of them are really that he's, he's a pocket passer, uh, but he's yep. got a big arm and he's, he's got a quick release and it's, it's interesting. Like what leads one guy to go one way or the other? This is a kid. If he, what if he goes to Washington right out of high school, doesn't go to Georgia, doesn't it? Does in his career isn't derailed a little bit? You wonder if it's viewed differently. Um, that that's because sometimes it's the circumstance you're in, uh, as much as as much as the talent. And between the two of them, this all comes back to the point we were making about Tua, who to me, if he's healthy, go. If he's healthy, go. Sure. But sure. that's the big if. So. Like I said, if I'm Miami, I might not. I might sit this year out and get me into next year's draft, and I'll pick high again next year, and, and we'll sort it out that way. One thing that I wanted to get into before we take our first break, because I think it's important. I mean, if you paid attention to the scores with us and what we told you, what JW told you about Odell Beckham and these trade rumors, you yeah. know, it, that nothing, much ado about nothing. Uh, I don't know if you saw Charles Robinson's yes. tweet today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the quote. It's pretty good. I chased the Odell Beckham Jr. trade talk. I was told unequivocally that the Vikings haven't had any trade discussions with the Browns about Beckham Jr. No calls about Beckham Jr. and no discussions of trade compensation. As an aside, the Browns do not have Beckham Jr. on the block, which is what we told you yesterday. And the funny thing for me personally in all of this is as soon as this report came out, I have I have a good friend that's that's very close to the Vikings organization. And, and mm -hmm. so and he was a they, they're laughing about this, basically. And yeah. Albright said the same thing in Denver. He talked to somebody in the Vikings, and they, they were laughing about it. So I don't know where these things come from. I don't know why these things happen. Well, that one originated out of New York, and there's just there's no question that there is a – I mean, you saw the, the Giants were doing, like, their all-time team, and they didn't even have him among, like, the nine finalists for receiver. He wasn't even listed. Like, it's like Bill Lane Beer going on and on. being, like, unequivocally LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. All right, enough of your sour grapes, pal. Right. <laughs> Come on. You think we're idiots? You think enough. we're dumb? We don't know what you're doing? One last thing on this, and I saw uh, – I hate to even give credit to these type of things or, or give it voice because I understand what it's about, but I, I saw uh, you know somebody tweet about Odell and how the best thing that um, would happen were for him not to be here. We were – we're in the building every day, guys, every day. We talked to the players quite a bit. I did not hear a single – negative word about Odell Beckham Jr. or the way that he carried himself last year in Cleveland. Not one. Not and one. By the, everybody we talked to loved him as a teammate. I mean, we didn't have not one, Facts. not one thing in a whole year that was tough. 
and he was not involved in any of it. No, and he, he played, I thought, you know, obviously played through pain, uh, wasn't getting the ball, wasn't happy with how things were going, and yet I think he held it together like a consummate professional. I think everybody's excited now that this is an offense yep. that has an opportunity to get the best out of Odell Beckham and that you're going to yep. get an opportunity to see that, and I think he wants it. I think the Browns want it. I think everybody wants it, and yeah, he's not going anywhere. Of no. course, nobody – You'd, you'd listen to something about everybody in the league, maybe except for Patrick mm -hmm. Mahomes right now. But you'd, you'd right. listen. But the, the Browns Take are not – he's not on the trade block. Charles Robinson just told you that. They want him here. He's a big part of what they expect to do this year. And, and I'm, I hope someday – Whatever it is, this magnet, magnet around Odell Beckham can just go ahead and, and release some of its gravitational pull so that he can have, you know, just let him just be. Just let him be. Yeah, let him be. Absolutely. Um, all right, lots to go on the program today. Paul Lucas from UniWatch will join us at 1.30 with a breakdown of the new kits. Brooke Pryor will join us as we continue our tour around the AFC North with a, a – a, view behind enemy lines with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is a real treat. Former Browns running back Eric Metcalf will join us coming up at 2.30 as well. We're going to be really looking forward to that. So lots to get to on the program today, off and running on a Thursday. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cooking is hard, delivery is easy, so order takeout or delivery at buffalowildwings.com and through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app and get award-winning wings over 24 sauces and seasonings delivered hot, fresh, straight to your house or from their par delivery partners at DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats, subject to availability. I had this yesterday. Fantastic. Boys still talking about it today. Uh, fantastic choice and a fantastic option from our friends at Buffalo Wild Wings. Well, Bo, what were, the, uh, what were the, the big hits in the house? What were the big hits? What did everybody love? Well, what was interesting was, I mean, we had to go all mild because we have, you know, a little, we have sure. boys, so, so we went mild. But what was interesting to me is, like, how even the buffalo, the standard buffalo for them was really hot for them. Um, interesting. So the one, the one that was the big hit was the uh, – there was, a, I think, a honey barbecue. Yeah. That, that, that was the big winner. That was, that was kind of the runaway winner, that where they couldn't get enough of that. Like, they were crushing that. And they crushed the fries and tots, too. They just destroyed it. Oh, you got it. Everybody no loves a tot. Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, it's about as good as it gets. Um, so Caesar Sportsbook released NFL win totals and playoff odds for all 32 teams on Thursday. The Patriots opening with a win total of 8.5. Well, Gibby says it was one of the biggest surprises. Well, they don't have Tom Brady, Gibby. Yeah, I don't think that's much of a surprise. Weren't Did I see that oh, the Packers were also, who went 13-3, and three, are also at 8.5? That's interesting. That would be interesting to me. Um we opened at eight and a half, uh, favored to miss the playoffs, 40 to one to win it all, 18 to one to win the AFC, an over under of eight and a half, and odds to win a division of plus 450, odds to make the playoff. Uh, yes, obviously plus 145, no, minus 145. The, uh, the eight and a half for us is fine. It's fine. Take it. I will, I'll take yeah. it right now. Good. Yeah, I, I think that's. When's the last time we won eight games? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's I believe it's, it's 2007. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to think back to from a year ago to um to the fact that we were the fourth pick to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. In the summer. Um that wasn't you and I talking, that was Vegas. Uh give you an idea of some of the other ones. Um the Bills at 9 are the are the highest in the AFC East. 
the Baltimore Ravens at 12. The Steelers are at 9. Uh, Bengals at 5. In our division in the South, a lot of 8 and 5s, as you figured it would be. Uh, the Titans and Colts both 8 and 5, 8.5. Eight and a half, rather. I to me, Tennessee at eight and a half. I like the looks of that. I think feel like they would they're going to be fine. Um, in the AFC West, Chiefs at twelve as the big favorite there. Any of those seem any as you go around the AFC, anything jump out to you? So there are some some interesting ones in terms of you know how things line up, like with Super Bowl odds. The Raiders are thirty to one, but yeah. the Chargers are forty five to one, even though the Chargers have better division odd wins and a better over under right yeah that that's, is interesting that's interesting I mean then go to if we go back to I mentioned brought up the Packers the NFC North this one's fascinating to me yes so in the NFC East the Eagles and Giants or rather Eagles and Cowboys are both nine and a half everyone else below that and then the North the Packers the Bears are eight and a half the Vikings are nine and the Lions are six and a half so three teams either nine or eight and a half but that the Packers and the Vikings, who have the same exact odds to win the division, plus 175, yep. the Packers have twice as good of odds to win the NFC, 7-1 to 14-1. to one. Odds to make the playoffs, Packers, yes, minus 140. For the Vikings, yes, minus 102. Yeah. Yeah, I it's feel like there's, there's some value in there with the, with the Vikings. I would think that there, there, there probably would be in in that sense. As you go to the South, uh, the Saints at ten and a half, the Bucks at nine. Uh, in the West, the Forty Nineers ten and a half, the Seahawks at nine and a half, Rams eight and a half, Cardinals seven and a half. I like the Seahawks at nine and a half. So which division? That. Just real quickly, which division? Yep. Has the highest combined win total? AFC, NFC West, I'd bet. I mean, I well, just went through it. I don't have this automatically. So we have but they, 21, thir- we have, have the, 35 in our division. So you've got 20, 28 and a half. Uh, we got 36 in the AF, NFC West. And and I think, let's see, that'd be 16 and 19, 35 in the AFC West. So we're right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah, probably second to the NFC West. That's kind of amazing. Total win total. Well, look, you and I talked. It's going to be a meat grinder. The Bengals spent money. We've done what we've done. The Steelers are getting Roethlisberger back, and the Raiders won 14 games last year. So It's going to be one of the toughest divisions in football. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. From the Tankapalooza world, I was trying to – I wanted to see what Jacksonville ended up with. Jacksonville the lowest at four and a half. Redskins are four and a half. Carolina's five and a half. Giants are five and a half. Giants five and a half. Gosh, the NFC East for and in our youth there was nothing harder than the NFC East, right? Nope. Nothing. And and they they have two nine and a halves and the Giants at five and a half and the Redskins at four and a half. That not amazing. ideal, Bob. No, no, no. It's not ideal from a, a division that that dominated the way that that division dominated um, in the eighties and nineties. Don't we draw that division this year? Yeah, right. Not bad for us. Yeah, and uh, you know we've that. That's the other thing you 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 hear um, you hear in terms of of what that schedule is going to look like. You're going to get it in May, so I'm I'll be very curious to see how the NFL handles that in terms of what those schedules. How do they do it? There's been rumors of putting you know all of the division games in the back end 
um, in the last six games. There's been talk of that, and I think it's just a pretty fluid situation at this point, um, and especially in light of uh, what Dr. Fauci said yesterday when he said, yeah, you know, there's a simple way to play. You just do it. You quarantine them, you play them, and you test them weekly, and that's the way that you handle it. By the way, speaking of testing, that was Jay Glazer's big news. Yeah, so I, I guess it kind of came and went without a, a whimper. Uh, it was that what players are going to be tested? That's his news? No, one guy pes- tested positive with the Rams. Oh, that was this bombshell? That's it. No wonder I haven't seen anything about it until you just mentioned it right now. I'd, even, I'd totally forgotten about it. Right, that was his bombshell? That was it. That was the bombshell. Yeah, but I mean, I just assume, I don't know, maybe I have this all wrong. I just assume a lot of them have it. Yeah. I assume that it's it's around, you know. I mean, I, I don't. That, to me, that wasn't that 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 was one of the first ones from him that wasn't a deliver. Usually, when there's that, there's a deliver with it. Um, in this this case, uh, there really was. That's wasn't. pretty underwhelming. Quite, quite underwhelming. Yeah. Um, underwhelming is not a way that I would describe our new uniforms. They are spectacular, and they delivered on every single promise that was made. One of the guys, well, actually the guy when it comes to breaking down uniform aesthetics is Paul Lucas at UniWatch. He's been doing it for a long time. I'm a constant and consistent reader of his site. I love it. He will join us coming up next with a breakdown of what he saw from the Browns' new uniforms. That's coming up next. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Hey guys, for a significant period of time, we are going to commit 100% of the team's net proceeds to 2020 Brown jersey sales at First Energy Stadium's Pro Shop in partnership with Legends and online at Fanatics.com to the Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund. To place an order from the First Energy Stadium Pro Shop, call 440-824-3427. In-store purchases currently unavailable in adherence to all policies and social distancing best practices. In addition, partners and fans can contribute directly to Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund at clevelandbrowns.com slash COVID-19, which also features community resources, information relevant to coronavirus. This is, this is a real thrill for me. I've been reading Paul Lucas' site, UniWatch, for probably 20 years. And when he would do the, uh, the NFL college football preview editions in the fall, it was always something I very much look forward to and continue to read his site. So it is a great honor to have you on, sir. Let's dig right into this um, with, with what you saw yesterday from the Browns. One thing that we were excited about in the building um, was you felt like the Browns were one of those franchises out there in professional sports that had something that was unmistakably theirs in their look, a classic look and one that represented some of the greatness of of our long and storied history. And and we feel like we got back to that. What were your impressions initially uh, when you saw the uniforms? Uh, You know, what I I saw was, what the Cleveland Browns are supposed to look like. And I I think that's what most people think. Um, It's nothing fancy. Uh, It's something we've seen before. It's basically going back to something very similar to what they were wearing in 2014. Uh, It's not breaking the mold. It's not pushing the envelope. But it looks like the Cleveland Browns. And I I think it's sort of like the universe or the universe, as I like to call it, the world of uniforms, uh, is is back in order. Uh, You know, all the pieces are back aligned the way they're supposed to be, at least in terms of the Cleveland Browns look. Uh, And it kind of makes you wonder, what were they thinking five years ago? How did they get it so disastrously wrong? And, you know, I I was there. I was in Cleveland in 2015, uh, the spring of 2015, when they did that unveiling. And I saw that giant you know, the lettering down the side of the pants, you know, that big honking word mark they had there and, and the lettering on the chest and the 
contrast colored top stitching and all the rest. And it was like, what are they thinking, man? Like it, it it's not what this team is about. It's never been what their visual identity has been about. Um, and especially, you know, they left the helmet alone. Thank God, five years ago, they, you know, they they kept the plain helmet with the without a logo on the side. They're the only team that does that in the, in the NFL. And if you're going to keep that, you know, why would you, if you've got this no frills, you know, just the facts kind of look about your helmet, which is the building block of any football uniform, Sure. why, why would you then, you know, go all razzle-dazzle with the other elements of, of the uniform? It never made sense. And, um, I mean, it was, a, it was a big mistake, but give the Browns credit, at least they acknowledged that mistake. And in the shortest time period allowed, because in the NFL you, you're not allowed to change your uniform more than once every five years. So within that five-year time period, they, they basically hit Command-Z, <laughs> you know, or Control-Z <laughs> right. on their keyboard and said, you know, undo it. And, and now they're back where they were. Uh, and even better than where they were, because I love the striped socks that they're going with now. And uh, so, yeah, I, I love what they're doing uh, with the new look, which is... They so got cool. away, Paul, from a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that... Uh, and, boy, we're seeing it with Atlanta, with this ATL on the front, and, mm-hmm. and the, the Browns, as, we, as you talked about, I mean, the last time around. The, the, this, this home uniform, the traditional brown and, and white, it is a simple striping. There's not another letter on it. I don't know if there's another team in the league that doesn't have a letter above the number. Um, it's it's just numbers, and the only letters on this thing is, is on the back, the player's name. That's right. it. That's the list. Which is uh, there are uh, there are some other teams that do. Are that. there a couple, Paul? Yeah, the Packers, for example. Oh, they sure. Okay. They, they don't have the name on the front. There's a few others, but yeah, the the I was surprised and impressed by that as well. That they they didn't put the word mark on the chest, even in you know teeny tiny letters or anything like that. It really is an old school NFL uniform. And, you know, I, I have this little sort of framework. I, I like to look at teams as either Coke teams or Pepsi teams. And, you know, Coke has basically had the same logo, uh, the same bottle shape. They have really simple slogans like Coke is it or enjoy Coca-Cola. You know, very basic, very simple. Pepsi constantly changing its logo, uh, very generationally pitched slogans like the choice of a new generation or generation next. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at the Browns, the Browns are a Coke team, right? Or at least that's, that's historically, that's what's in their DNA. Visually speaking, they, they have a basic, timeless, don't mess around with it kind of look. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned the Falcons, what they're doing. That's much more of a Pepsi approach of uh, like, let's push the envelope. Let's try to be more uh, kind of youth oriented. Uh, you can even see it in some of the, you know, the language they use in their marketing. They called the, the, uh, the release of their new, new uniform. They didn't call it an unveiling. They called it a new drip. Uh, you know, which, and so that's, you know, that's all part of, of the pitch they're trying to make, the marketing positioning they're trying to achieve for their team. Uh, but that just doesn't fit uh, the, the history of a team like the Browns. And uh, it seems like they were trying to be that Pepsi kind of team five years ago, and it just didn't take, and now they're back to being a Coke team. And, and when you say that, how many Coke teams do you think there are in the league that you look at? And, and I think, you know, the Browns hope, obviously, these are their uniforms for decades, you know, that, that have had that consistency, that have that kind of iconic standing like Coke does. I would say that, in general, the NFL is a pre- pretty much a Coke league. You know, it's, it's a pretty conservative league in terms of its visuals, and, you know, which isn't surprising because it's run by a bunch of 
extremely conservative businessmen. Um, and what's interesting is that they're, they're partnering now with Nike. You know, Nike took over the league's uniform contract in 2012, and Nike is all about the Pepsi approach. Um, they, they like to push the envelope. They, they like to, when they're told, well, you can't do that, then Nike says, well, why not? We're going to do it anyway, uh, which is fine, you know, if you're the University of Oregon or something like that. Uh, but it, it can... You get pushback uh, a lot of times with NFL teams and NFL fans. Uh, and so, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, Coke teams out there, like the Packers, um, you know, like the, the New York Giants. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got teams with long-storied histories um, that haven't changed their look very much. You know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, really, there's no look, there's no difference right now between what the Steelers wear now and what they wore, you know, back in their 1970s Super Bowl yep. dynasty days, except the number font on their jersey, which is, I mean, it's a change, but it's not like a radical change. But you wouldn't believe how many Steelers fans I hear from who say, yeah, that was the worst thing they ever did, man. They've got to they gotta change that back. You know, I'd say, it's, been, it's been bugging me. That, that number font, man, they got, they, that, that's like, it's like, you know, the fly in the ointment. Uh, and so, you know, for a lot of NFL fans, like, they, they're not always embracing a lot of change. Uh, from this kind of, you know, from the uniform world. They, they, and, and, you know, in some ways with good reason, because as Jerry Seinfeld famously said, uh, we're rooting for laundry out there. You know, you, we keep rooting for that uniform no matter who's wearing it because the players come and go. They, you know, they get traded or they retire or whatever. But we keep rooting for the new players, whoever the next player is, who wears that uniform. And so there's an intense emotional bond between the fan uh, and that uniform. And so when you tinker with that, you know, with the uniform, you're tinkering with that bond. And so that's a, that's a tricky thing and a powerful thing. And that's why people care about this kind of stuff so much. When you think about uh, these uniforms, very traditional, obviously, in the, the home and, and the road, the color rush, a little less traditional. And, and I call it the brownout. I like them. I know I'm you I like that, yeah. not as much of a fan of those, but I, I think it's a, a pretty sharp, sleek look. And it gives a little bit of a contrast, right, to, to what are the more traditional home and roads. But what, 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 kind of from that kind of a vein what would you like to see from the browns in terms of you know what your thoughts are on that color rush but also what you would have maybe had done a little differently because i know you said you, you nitpicked that one a little bit yeah i'm not a fan in general of the color rush program i i don't like uh so much the the look anywhere in the nfl of having uh the same colored jersey and pants unless it's uh unless it's white on white i think that's fine but i i don't like you know, brown on brown or green over green or purple over purple or whatever it might be, uh, where it sort of looks like a, a bodysuit instead of a football uniform. To me, that's not an NFL look. Uh, that's just me. Um, but I, I would say the, the, one, the one thing I, I wish the Browns had done, and, and I, and I want to reiterate, I think what they did here is great. I think they're going to look great on the field whenever teams are allowed to yeah, get back on I the field those. again. Um, but I, I think I speak for a lot of people, and, and I'm not a Browns fan per se, but I've, I've heard from a lot of Browns fans this week. Uh, I, I'm a little surprised they went with brown pants instead of orange pants for their colored pant option. And, you know, a lot of fans miss that uh, Brian Sype era uh, orange pant look. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of hints dropped and sort of suggestions made that they may be, uh, that may be coming, that they may be holding that back, you know, for another release, mm -hmm. uh, either, you know, later this year or next season or whenever it might be. Um, and, and that certainly wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and, and it does seem to be what fans want. And I, and I want to make it clear, I think the brown pants they've got, you know, with the white jersey, I think that's a good look. I think that's a very solid road look for them. Um, but I think it would be even better with orange pants. That, that's just me.
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Your patience will be rewarded, Paul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, and, they're, and, you know, it's, some... it's worth noting, I believe, that the next season, the Browns have a, a big anniversary coming. They've got... Um, right. Yes. 75th anniversary, is it? Or Yep. Yep, and so I would be I would be very surprised if they don't do something uniform wise for that, uh, you know, some kind of throwback because they don't now you know they the Browns haven't changed so much that you could you know what what would a throwback be? But you could go back to that Marion Motley style uh, jersey or you know there's, there's possibilities there, and I would not be surprised. Uh, and in fact, I, I would I would I would pretty much expect that they will do something in terms of a, a throwback or retro look. Uh, for that big anniversary. Paul Lucas, our guest from UniWatch. Uh, well, the other thing that's interesting is uh, this: what, what came out of Tampa Bay with the idea that the NFL is going to get rid of the one-shell helmet uh, because what that does is open up a lot of possibilities for teams, and, and certainly in Tampa Bay where you know Nathan and I were both hoping for the creamsicles. And, Paul, I don't know if it's just because we're, we're men, we're 40, and so that's how we remember them and we want them to look the way we remember as kids, or if those uniforms were really great. Uh, I don't know which one it was, but, but this idea of – of bringing in a second shell color to the NFL uh, uniform catalog is a, is a big move and, and would allow teams to do that, to wear – it would allow Tampa Bay to wear a creamsicle. Um, and, and obviously we've worn different helmets in our, in our history as well. So those type of things would open up if that is true. Was that surprising to you when that news came out? Had you heard anything about that? Uh, well, it, it, just to be clear, it, it is not confirmed yet that the NFL is going to lift the one-shell rule. And, and for people who are listening who, who aren't familiar with it, the – since 2013, the NFL has had a rule limiting team to limiting all the teams to one set of helmet shells. You can swap out the face masks or swap out the decals and striping tape, but uh, the idea is to stick to one set of shells. And uh, the, the thinking, at least uh, in terms of uh, two health advisory panels that uh, are part of the league, they, they think it's on balance safer to have one set of shells rather than be changing back and forth during the season. Uh, but there is talk that it may be lifted in 2021. It is not confirmed yet. The league has just said it's something we're thinking about. Um, if that does happen, yeah, as you say, that opens up, uh, opens up the door for the return of a lot of throwbacks because right now teams like the Buccaneers who have uh, that pewter helmet shell, they can't do the creamsicle, the, the uh, Bucko Bruce uh, throwback because that – requires a white helmet shell and then so they you know they they can't do that right now similarly the patriots could bring back the pat patriot throwback um and i have to say though be careful what you wish for because while we're all excited by the possibility of seeing those great old throwback retro designs again it would also open the door to all kinds of alternate uniforms which i am very right. certain nike has been kind of salivating at the prospect <laughs> of uh that you can do you know all kinds of uh, like in college football if you look at the way nike and under armor and adidas uh, they, they come up with so many different uh, alternate designs for the various NCAA teams, uh, and many of those have involved different, you know, different helmet colors, different uh, shell colors. Uh, and they can't do that in the NFL because teams are, are restricted to that one shell and that one shell color. Uh, once you lift that rule, it could really open the floodgates to a lot of alternate uniforms, some of which could be great but some of which might be a little cringe-inducing, we'd have to see. <laughs> Indeed. When you think of your favorite uniforms, and you are you are the authority on these things, and I know that, look, taste is subjective, right? I can love the color rush and that look. You don't like the monochromatic looks. But what, what when you think of the perfect uniform or the, the, your favorite that you've come across, and you can go any sport you want, what to you was the perfect uniform, and why did it resonate so strongly with you? 
Sure. Uh, you know, for the since we've been talking about the NFL, I'll just say my favorite NFL uniform has always been the Packers. Uh, and if I had to pick an era for the Packers, even though it hasn't changed that much over the years, uh, I would say that sort of like the Bart Starr era, you know, like the 60s. Uh, there's something about the, the fabrics they used then, the tailoring, like the jersey still had sleeves then. They don't really have <laughs> sleeves anymore, and I kind of like that look. Uh, even like the, the video and the photos from that era, like the Kodachrome film, like the colors look really saturated. I just love seeing Packers photos from that era. Uh, and for, but for all time, for any sport, I would say uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Uh, I love the birds on the bat. To me, the birds on the bat are every bit as iconic yep. as those Yankees pinstripes. Uh, and I say this, I'm, I'm not a Cardinals fan per se, uh, but I'm a big fan of that uniform. And even today, I, I'd say it's my favorite uh, Major League Baseball uniform, the Cardinals uniform. But um, uh, I would say, again, if I had to pick an era I would probably say that same thing, like that mid to late 60s period for the Cardinals. Uh, players back then cuffed their pants up and wore their stirrups in exactly the way I kind of like it. Uh, that was the end of the flannel era, and they oh, yeah. had these sort of lighter weight flannels instead of the heavy flannels from like the 30s and 40s. The late 60s, the, the flannels were a little more like not as baggy. And like to me, it was, it was just to me that is the, the perfect kind of the platonic ideal uh, of baseball uniforms was that period, like the late 60s, uh, and especially a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. Give me Lou Brock in, in that uniform. And, and, uh, <laughs> Always yeah. wins. Yeah, I'm happy. Lou Brock, I love that call. My dad would love that call. <laughs> what do you think? This is my favorite jersey ever, so I just want to throw it out there, other than the Jeff George era Falcons that they continue to ignore <laughs> other than as an alternate. But the, the original Hornets teal i thought were just spectacular that's you know just... what that is a, a popular choice for a lot of people uh, i have never really loved uh that original hornets one and of course it, it was it's a groundbreaking uniform it kind of ushered in an era of uh, you know for like for the next decade or so because i think that uniform came out in 88 or 89 yeah. and then all through the 90s Almost every new team, like in any sport, any expansion team, whether it was you know Colorado Rockies in baseball, San Jose Sharks in, in the NHL, all these different teams, they used either teal or purple or both. Uh, and it all started with that Hornets, uh, that Hornets uniform, which had teal and purple stripes. Yeah. And uh, so you can give them credit, or, or probably in my case, we give them the blame. <laughs> Ouch! For, for that trend. Uh, but it is very popular, and uh, for whatever reason, it never really pushed my buttons. I, I'm, I'm sort of a confirmed purple hater, which is part of it. Uh, they do have the purple stripes. But it is it definitely a highly influential uniform and very, very popular among Hornets fans, no question. Paul, I'll get you out of here on this one. We have three to go. Uh, we have the Patriots, which has been in complete darkness. No one mm -hmm. knows anything about this. Little bits here and there. Uh, the Chargers, is the buildup of the Chargers, everyone says are the greatest things you've ever seen. I just hope they wear the Allworth ones. I think that's simple. Um, and then and then you also have the Rams out there, and I have buddies in the Rams organization that, that played there that are terrified uh, about <laughs> what the Rams could do. Um, what are you hearing on those three fronts? Uh, the you know as you say the the Patriots there's really been no hints they they haven't even announced when they're going to unveil it except that it'll be before the draft which means sometime in the next week essentially uh, so sometime you know again within the next week we'll find out what the Patriots are doing all I know for sure is that it's it's a smallish change you know a tweak not an overhaul uh, so and they're not changing their main logo so it's a uniform change but not a logo change so that means probably their helmet is staying the same and that they're just tinkering at the edges of, of their pants or their jersey or something like that. But I don't know what it is. Uh, for the Chargers, you know, 
has there ever been a bad-looking San Diego Chargers, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> uniform? Uh, I don't think so. You know, that, that team generally gets it right. Uh, they also just sort of tinker at the margins of their look. They never do a big overhaul. Uh, they've gone back to the powder blue and, and yes. gold as their main colors, and so I'm looking forward to what they're going to do. Whatever it is, I think it's going to be good. You mentioned the Lance Allworth era. I'm hoping, you know, the one thing I would really like to see is the return of the yellow pants which they haven't done yeah. in ages, like the powder, because the powder blue jersey looks great with the white pants, but I think it looks even better with the yellow pants, so I'm, I'm hoping for that. Uh, and that's going to be next Tuesday. We'll find out about that. Uh, and then the Rams, you know, the Ram, I think the Rams did, they didn't do themselves any favors by doing this in two parts. You know, they, they unveiled their logos, which generally were not a hit with the fan base, uh, at, but not the uniforms. And they're not going to re- unveil the uniforms until after the draft, sometime in May. And so everyone's saying, ah, we don't like these logos. And Eric Dickerson was saying, you know, like, the fans <laughs> don't like it. I'm going to try and get them to change it. And they wouldn't do it. Uh, and, you know, people are wondering. And I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't really think it's fair to the fan base to say, here's our logos. But you can't judge a logo unless you see the context in which it's going to be used. Like, is that new Rams head logo that Eric Dickerson said looked like a certain part of a certain body? <laughs> uh, like, is that right, going right. to appear on the, on the uniform as like a sleeve patch or something like that? We don't know. Uh, and so I, I don't think the Rams did themselves any favors or their fan base any favors by doing this in two parts, by stringing it out. Uh, I think it's always better to do the logos and the uniforms all at once. So we'll see what the Rams are up to. But generally speaking, you know, they don't put their logo on their helmet. You know, they, they put right, Ram right. horns on their helmet. So, we'll, you know, that, that to me, the uniform is much more important uh, than the logos for the Rams. Paul, this was fun. We appreciate you, buddy, and uh, really appreciate you giving us a little bit of time today. My pleasure. As you can tell, you, you can probably tell anyway, I love to talk about this stuff. We so do we. To, so do I we. Hope, yes. <laughs> it's, it's probably more than any two hosts in this country. We talk <laughs> about this stuff all the time. Uh, so appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. That's Paul Lucas with, with you to watch one of the absolute best. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. Um, and I think it makes a good point on the Rams where if it's not, if you don't see, if it's not on the jersey, it almost is like, and that's something that happened, you know, here in, in 15, where you did the, the logo first and then the uniform second. And when you do that, when the, we're like the Rams in this case, and that our helmet, our logo is not going on the uniform. Right. It's the helmet. It's you the know? helmet. And, yep. and the Rams are like us, and that for part of their history, their logo was their helmet. Uh, through the 80s, that was their logo, was, yeah. was the Rams' horns on the helmet. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's clear – Certain people have certain styles, and that's why what I think is so cool about the uniforms that with the Browns, yeah. with this set, you have for the pure traditionalists, you have that. But for those who want something a little more edgy, a little more sleek, you have that in the color rush. And, and you know, the color rush, there was a point where they wanted actually, or they, they were hoping, as I said, no TV numbers, not even names, to just have it really be complete brown out with just the numbers on it. And now for reasons the league said you have to have TV numbers and the CBA, of course, the NFLPA would want the player names. And so that, that wasn't able to happen. But to give that kind of a contrast from such a, a traditional and also have the modern has something for, I think, for everybody in those in those uniforms. And I am I am more of a monochromatic fan. I think with yeah, certain looks, are, yeah. it looks good. I don't think it looks good with everything. I remember there was a game that was played, and I want to say it was a Thursday night Jets-Bills where one team was in green and one team was in red, and people who yeah, had colorblindness terrible. issues couldn't, weren't able to see certain things, and it, was, it just didn't the Rams, look. 
It didn't look great. The Rams great. Chiefs game, remember that when it was mustard and ketchup, all oh. yellow versus all red. Yellow and red, and we know about the Jags, but I think monochromatic be done when it's done right looks really, yeah. really good. And I think some of the looks that we've seen, for example, when the Saints go monochromatic, black over black with the gold accents and their gold helmet, I think that's a stunning look. So there, are, it, it is interesting. It's though, all Paul, subjective. It's all subjective. Beauty's in the eye beholder, and I think Paul, what he does such a great job of is, yes, he has his opinions, but he's looking at more from the design aesthetic, how it all ties in, what it means for the brand. And I thought, I thought that was really cool to hear him talk about that they did nail it. But and while it's something might not be for him, he understands why it was done and, and that it can look good. And I do think those color rushes. A mock-up of it is not going to do anything compared to seeing 53, 55 now of those guys run out on the field in those uniforms and play. I think they're going to be stunning. Yeah, I hope the, the one thing you have to. I hope that the the brown is dark. It's got to be really dark. It is dark. Yeah, because if if it's if it's not really really dark, then it you get some some sweat stuff that's a little awkward. The one thing I would say that we did that was really cool on this is, and it's something that we basically did the opposite of the Falcons. So we took our traditional and made it the primary. And then had fun with the one-off. Whereas the Falcons had fun with the primary and took their traditional as the, the one-off. One yep. And I think that's the I wish I think more teams ought to do what we did here, which is have a traditional and then have a fun one-off that you can play around with a little bit. And I think if you did that, then I think you accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. Exactly. Yep. That, then everybody all. has a little taste of something. Yep. Um, something when you when you do those things. We'll go around, uh, continue our look around the AFC North. We hit the Pittsburgh Steelers coming up at the top of the hour. Brooke Pryor will join us, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. My friends, you hear me talk about Alex at Northeast Factory Direct all the time. Great friends of the program. We don't talk enough, baby, about online shopping, but it's something that more and more people are doing, especially now, is buying their furniture online on their website. So when you're making a purchase online at northeastfactorydirect.com, enter the code RADIO at checkout, and you'll receive an additional $25 off. Not only do they have essential building materials like kitchen cabinets, sinks, vanities, but also important sanitary products for your pools and spas like filters, pumps, cleaners. If you need furniture, mattresses, home office furniture, patio furniture, or bedding, you can shop them for the comfort of your home online, northeastfactorydirect.com. You still contact their scores to schedule an appointment, a virtual tour, or remote virtual consultation. Alex would love to hear from you. If you have a question, just call or text his personal cell phone, 216-288-1808. And with that, we head out on the hotline. Brooke Pryor joining us, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter, as we go behind enemy lines, as it were. Brooke, thanks for taking the time. Uh, let's just dig in. We're, we're a week out from the draft. This is a team that a year ago kind of adapted on the fly to the injury of Ben Roethlisberger and became great on defense quickly, became one of the best defensive teams in the league. As they approached this offseason, as they approached this draft, what were some of the things that they had to address and do you feel like they have addressed? Yeah, you know, I think this team has really worked to continue adapting uh, to Ben Roethlisberger. This time they're adapting to him coming back and really going all in on the idea of, you know, trying to maximize this championship window that they feel like is opening. And that was really evident when they added uh, tight end Eric Ebron, because that was a huge area of need. Their tight ends last year with Vance McDonald and Nick Vanette were woefully underutilized. So they went out, they get, you know, a big body offensive target, big uh, red zone threat in Ebron. 
They also go out and add to uh, to their offensive line with Stephen Wisniewski, and they go out and get another Watt brother with fullback Derek Watt. Fullback, not necessarily a huge need that they had, but they needed somebody on special teams after losing Tyler Matikiewicz in free agency. So I think that they went ahead and addressed the most glaring needs they had, also getting defensive lineman Chris Wormley in a trade with Baltimore, um, which really puts them in a good position with the draft coming up and them not having a first-round pick and kind of having to let that first wave of ultra-talented prospects go by before they make their first pick at number 49 uh, on day two. When you think about the fact that this team almost made it to the playoffs a year ago and are getting Ben back, and you look at the moves the Browns have made, you know, the Bengals likely to get Joe Burrow, the reigning MVPs in Baltimore. You know, is the consensus in Pittsburgh that this is going to be a brutal division this season? Right. No kidding. I think that that's exactly right. I think that last year, you know, it felt like at times a two-team division with uh, the Steelers and the Ravens. Granted, the Ravens kind of ran away with it. For a while, uh, the Browns, you know, played themselves out of it. But I think next year it's going to be more competitive top to bottom. You know, there's still going to be a little bit of time in Cincinnati before they can catch up to the rest of the of the division, you know, getting Joe Burrow or whoever that may be at number one. I think, you know, like I said, the consensus is it's going to be Joe Burrow. Um, but I do think that the Steelers, with the offseason moves they're making, have that in mind that, you know, they've been atop this division for a while, um, granted, you know they weren't last year, and it's taken a bit of a dip in the last couple of years. But I think that they're doing things to make sure that they are still competitive within this division to try to get back to, to some of the postseason success that they've had in the past. Yeah, Brooke, and and a, and a big part of that obviously is going to be Ben, and I think it's very easy to just say, well, Ben's coming off an injury; he's going to be the same old Ben when he comes back. But he is elevating in age, obviously, and this is a significant injury to a throwing arm, um, and and we just don't know how he's going to respond to that. What are what is the or, where does the organization think he's at, and and what are you hearing on on the way that he's progressing? Right. Well, first of all, I love elevating in age. That's what I'm going to tell people as I get older that I'm just elevating. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, the organization is being really positive about his comeback, and I think that that's kind of what they have to do right now since we won't see Ben, you know, at least it feels like until August with all of the restrictions and uh, delays to the off-season programming. And, you know, he said that he was going to come out and be able to participate at least, you know, halfway, 60-70% in the OTAs and minicamp. But, the, the line that, that GM Kevin Colbert kept saying over and over again at the Combine was that we could see a better Ben, that Ben was going to be better than he was in the past. And that's not just because he had a surgically repaired elbow now, but because he has now at least one less season of an NFL you know, wear and tear on his body because he sat out last year. Um, and I, I think that there is something to that, especially you know when you do have an older quarterback. He's 38. Um, I think that it does help to kind of have a season on the sidelines. Uh, granted, that does mean that now he's got to get back in game shape. He's uh, got to get back in the flow of a younger team. He hasn't played a lot of the weapons now uh, that this team's going to have with a guy like you know Deontay Johnson, um, Eric Ebron coming in, um, some of these guys that he's going to have to get used to them and used to their rhythms. And that may be more challenging now without a full offseason to kind of get reacclimated to everything. 
When you talk about this team and obviously getting Ben back, that helps the the aerial attack. The ground game, though, a couple years ago, James Conner, great season last year. Uh, you know, injuries were a big factor. This is a, a draft that I think, you know, not without using an early pick, you can still get some really good running backs. Do you expect that to be a position that the Steelers look to address early, maybe, you know, second round or so in this draft? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I mean, last year they got Benny Snell, and he ended up being really important. He was primarily a third down back and even a second half back when they needed to bleed some clock. Um, but I think that because of James Conner's injury concerns, and at some point it felt like last season every running back was hurt or missed time. You know, Benny Snell has a knee injury. Uh, Jalen Samuels had to have surgery midseason. Uh, James Conner was hurt for a little bit. So I think that that's an area where they can certainly add some depth and add some guys that are maybe more durable. Um, I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy who would be a really good fit with the Steelers, but to get him they'd have to use an earlier pick because I don't think he's going to last long. He may not even make it to day two. Um, But I do think that that this is a draft that you could get a guy like that Utah running back um, or some other guys later that would still give you good value and give you depth at a position that, you know, they showed last year when they didn't have a run game and then they had some young quarterbacks and couldn't get anything going in the passing game. The offense really, really struggled. Brooke, we, one thing that uh, both Nathan and I are pretty big fans of, the potential of Jameis Winston, and uh, are fearful that the Steelers uh, are going <laughs> to sign him and develop him behind Ben. And there yes. were whispers about this about a month ago, and then I haven't heard anything for a while. Um, and everything out of there that you hear tends to be that they, they really love Mason Rudolph as his eventual successor. Um, do you buy that, that they, eventually, that they do love Rudolph as eventual successor? And do you uh, – think there's any smoke any fire to the smoke of Winston going there for a year and sitting behind Ben you know I I don't think that we're going to see Jameis Winston coming to Pittsburgh to sit behind Ben Um, that's not how this organization works and they've been pretty adamant all offseason that they were not going to bring in a big name free agent quarterback even if Jameis Winston's price has dropped a little bit uh, because the the quarterback market has cooled down in free agency but I just don't see them going that route. I think they much more prefer to draft and develop guys. And, yeah, right now they are really happy with Mason Rudolph. You know, he didn't have the best season last year, but he was also put in some really tough circumstances. The way that he had to come in when Ben got hurt, then he has a concussion. He obviously has everything that happens in Cleveland, and then he has his own season-ending injury. So I think that they were pleased with the progress that he showed and some of the potential that he showed. But I think they also want to see another season out of him, whether it's, you know, developing him on the practice field or having him come in late in games or even, you know, playing some during the season, depending on how Ben does. I think they need to see more from him to feel good about eventually turning the reins over. And if that doesn't work out, I think next year is the class that they'd want to go after a quarterback and draft a guy um, versus adding, a big name free agent right now, or even drafting somebody like Jalen Hurts or Jacob Easton. I, I think that they feel comfortable with the guys they have on the roster, at least for this season. Good. That is music to our ears. <laughs> Keep Jameis out of the Steel City. Here. Yeah, we do not want him anywhere near there. Uh, wanted to ask you just how our guy Joe Hayden's doing. Have you know got another deal there? Playing great football. Just recently had a birthday. Our all-time favorites here with the Browns, and it's been awesome, even though you hate for it to be happening, obviously, in your division and with the Steelers, but to see you know, his kind of career renaissance and really was a key member of what was a sensational defense for the Steelers a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe Hayden's one of my favorite guys in that locker room. He 
is just a joy to be around and yep. obviously doing really good things on the field. He had that string of interceptions, but my favorite thing about him is just the, the leadership that he brings to the locker room. I did a story during the season that he runs the DB meetings on Thursdays. Like there's not a coach in there. He's the guy that gets up and he runs through everything and he got them to coordinate, you know, a, a system where a different guy each week brings the meal for everyone um, to get it catered and he sorted it off and then it runs through by seniority. So, you know, you have really good meals at the beginning of the season and then not so great by the end when the rookies are buying for everyone. But I just think that he's been a really good presence in that locker room. You know, he gives out Jordans at Christmas to every single person in there. And I think that it's nice to see him kind of have this resurgence here in Pittsburgh. Brooke, this I'm was just great. in my head. Uh, I can't. Believe, yeah, just, I still can't believe that he's not a Cleveland Brown. It's unbelievable. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard to wrap your head around that he went inside. Uh, Brooke, we appreciate your time and your expertise in sharing a, a little bit of both of us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. That's great. That's Brooke Pryor, ESPN NFL Nation Steelers reporter. Um, yes, please don't don't have interest in Jameis. Don't develop. No, him. that's just fine. stay away from that. Two of my favorite Fine. personalities that we ever uh, got to cover here with the Browns that found their way to the Steelers and Joe Hayden and Zach Banner, who is the larger than life, literally six linemen. Do you remember last year they would bring they were running six linemen all the time and they'd bring yeah, him in yeah. and the crowd would go absolutely bananas for him. Yeah. He Gibby would say of, of all the guys, I'd say he and Billy Wynn were the two that, you know, absolutely had futures in, in media if they were so inclined. Definitely had the gift of gab. Whenever, whenever, whenever that time comes. That's right. Uh, all right, coming up next, we'll hit Gail Brandt's top 150 prospects. It's out a week before the draft. We hit on that, uh, plus some other news and notes around the league as we go around the league. That is coming up next. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If you were injured at work, call the workers' compensation lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free case review. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. Gil Brandt's top 150 prospects are out one week from the draft. It is out. It is here. It is uh, It is mostly what you thought. I think the only thing that's a little surprising, uh, he has Burrow 1, Chase Young 2, Isaiah Simmons 3, then Herbert and Tua at that point. In terms of the tackles, he goes Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, Becton, in that order, all in the top 10. Uh, Jeff Akuda, he has at 13, which is the lowest I've seen anybody um, have Akuda on a list of, of overall prospects in the draft. What I what I think is even more interesting than all this, however, as as Gil Brandt and uh, his in his list. Remember yesterday I told you about the Peyton Manning, uh, Manning and Brady thing on yep. ESPN Plus. Mm-hmm. So the one I watched this morning on the treadmill was him and Gil Brandt, and it was about okay. the NFL draft. It talked about how the draft got started, and it was the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles that had it because basically he was being outbid by for players by the Bears and the Redskins and the Giants. And so they had to find a way to parody in the league, and so they did. So Gil Brandt, with the Dallas Cowboys, was the first GM or player personnel guy. They used a computer to catalog their guys. So if, if Tech Schramm or whoever would ask him for a player – Gil would go into this giant computer that it looks like the size of like one of those ice boxes that you see at like the at the grocery store. Go to this giant computer, type in a thing, and then it would spit out 
the way that they would do it. And up until that point, you would basically just call an area scout and you'd say, who's the best tackle you saw? They go, it's this guy. And they go, all right, well, we'll draft this guy. And so Brant was actually 10 years ahead of the rest of the league. The, the yep. rest of the league was about a decade behind the Cowboys in terms of how to identify uh, talent in the draft. And they had a grading system. They, the first have a grade, they had five criteria that they would grade players on a scale of 1 to 10, and they would grade them that way. And my guess is I'm looking at Gil Brant's top 150 right now, who's now a Hall of Famer, that he probably still does it the same way, with the same five criteria. I'm sure he does. If it ain't broke for Gil Brandt, don't fix yeah. it, right? So I'm sure that that's what he's doing there. So you mentioned a couple things that were interesting in this list, and I think that's a fascinating story that you just told about him, and he's been considered, you know, he's he's revered. You go to the Combine, and, and yeah. if you see Gil walking around, he's always got people coming and talking to him, and, and he is he's yeah. revered. That's the word for it. Um, he's got Herbert ahead of Tua, which I thought was interesting, and Herbert fourth overall which I found yep. to be a, a fascinating thing. The other one is, as you and I have been talking about and, and, you know, how much we want it to end up being, you know, for the Browns, get that tackle and then steal, you know, Grant Delpit. He's got Delpit 25th overall as the number one safety ahead of Xavier McKinney, who he has 32nd. Now, what's even more interesting to me, and, and I, I don't know, you know, how this ends up being the case, and this is one person's board, obviously, but, he does not have another safety in the top 50. It's just those two. It's just Delpit yeah. at 25, McKinney at 32. And, you know, then you get into this next group and 51 is Ashton Davis, 56 is Antoine Winfield. But a name that's gotten so much buzz that a lot of people really like, Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. And a lot of people have maybe, you know, linked to the Browns. He has him at 66th, one spot ahead of your guy, Jacob Eason. Yeah. It's all subjective, right? Like it's there. There are no sure things in this thing uh, when when it comes to this. And the best example is the guy that everybody has number one overall, who two years ago at Ohio State couldn't win the starting quarterback job. Now he, he didn't lose to a bum. Dwayne Haskins was a first round pick, uh, but but Joe Burrow wasn't. It, it wasn't something that that was that was that close when it came time to make that decision that there was a clear cut. Now two years later, he's unequivocally the number one pick and prospect in this draft. So that's how quickly, uh, you know, I think I think things can change. And the other thing that you have to remember with, with all of these prospects, buddy, is you don't know what's gone on off the field. You don't know what these interviews have been like. We don't know what type of people they are. If and the, the, the Easton one's a great example. You see him play, and you see how Herbert plays. You go, well, they're very similar. But I don't know how Easton is in the interviews. Right. I don't know if he's somebody who – I have no idea. I've never really heard – you hear him do these little interviews, but I've never, I don't know, like, when he walks into a quarterback room, do people like him? That's important. You have to be liked. Uh, you have to be likable. you got to be able to lead, So especially if it's a franchise quarterback. So maybe that is something he doesn't have. Uh, perhaps not. Uh, I also think a lot of it, when you read some of the scouting reports on him, it has to do with his ability to you know make accurate throws under pressure, his decision-making. Um, but from a gift standpoint, I think they all say he has it. But you're right, with a quarterback, of course, that's a that's an absolutely – it's a, an incredibly important thing. Uh, I talked with our good pal Nick Shook earlier today yeah. on, on his pod, and – you know, talking about these linemen, and he's a guy that we know studies these linemen, and he, like it. 
Gil has Wills ahead of Worfs, but he also, like Gil, thinks Wills, Worfs, Thomas, and Becton are all worthy of a top 10 pick. And I think it's interesting that Gil has them 7, 8, 9, 10 right there on his big board, all of them uh, right there in that prime, you know, kind of spot for the Browns. But if, even if the Browns were to move back, the guy that I'm starting to give a lot of, I'm starting to feel a little bit is Austin Jackson. Big athlete, smooth athlete. He has him 19th overall, actually, on this board, which I think is a, a pretty good number for him. Those wondering, Ezra Cleveland, 23rd on the board as well. And those are the kind of the two names from that second group that have gotten a little bit of a link to the Browns that, from time to time. And the hard part about um, about what we're doing this year in the draft in terms of or what we think we're doing this year in the draft in terms of taking a tackle and what everybody has us taking as a tackle is that it's not it's not something that is when you're drafting a quarterback, a receiver, a tailback, a skill position player, even a linebacker, an Avenger like Isaiah Simmons, you could see them guys like us can go, OK, I get that. Like the idea for me to sit here and tell you the difference between Austin Jackson and Makai Becton? No, right. That, I, I'm sorry, I'm not qualified. I, what? One's bigger, stronger, faster. I'm not Joe Thomas. I'm not Joe Greco. John Greco. I'm not Nick Shook. I don't know. I I don't study it that way. I don't. I, it's impossible for me to know. So I'm just going to trust you people. So if you tell me there's not much of a difference between Makai Becton and Austin Jackson, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. Yep. What I hope happens is is when it comes to number ten. The guy that you wanted, whether it's somehow it, in my dream world, Isaiah Simmons dropping to ten, which I don't think is going to happen, but if it was something like that, and you're able, you're able to get the guy you want. That's all you want out of a draft, I think. Is we want to make sure we get the guys that we want. I think one thing that's hard for fans is you m get married to a prospect, and you feel like your organization is like, you know what, yeah, but we could get this, but we could get two of this. And what I think the best teams do is they take if if there's a guy there they love, they take him. You take that guy. And yep. you don't overthink it. And and I think that's that's something that, that hopefully we're in position to do a week from today. I certainly hope so, and I feel pretty good that we are going to be able to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, how does it all shake out? And if, you know, what are the value propositions that are surrounding us at that 10th pick, you know, in terms of what do people want to do? What do people, how valuable does that 10th pick when it, we're on the board, how valuable does that pick turn out to be? And I think that's going to be obviously a very, you know, that's going to be a part of the discussion, especially with this, we know the group that's in charge, right? I mean, they're yep. going to be looking to maximize their value and two players, two swings at the plate are always better than one. If you're getting, if you feel like you're getting, you know, one guy who was originally like the, the quote unquote stud, you're getting somebody close to him. Then you go ahead and, and that's when you make some of those moves. I I got to tell you, it's. I think the Browns are going to end up being in a very good spot to either draft a great yeah. player or get a good offer where they can still draft a great player and add another one. Because the thought to me of being able to somehow get two twos in this draft, if that is even possible, is very appealing because I think it would allow you to get not only a tackle for the future, not only your safety for the present and future, but either one of these stud linebackers if they fall, a pass rusher if they fall, or you know you can set yourself up and, and steal a wide receiver who typically would have been a first-round talent. Um, I, I just think there's a lot of value in the second. If you had two twos, two threes in this draft and a one, I think that you're going to be able to put a lot of talent on your roster. So let's let's do that. Do you, you think that Denver would give you forty six overall to move up from sixteen to ten? Depends on who, how much they cover the person that they want. But you could also yeah. throw back, you know, throw back a later round pick as well, uh, and yeah. to to sweeten the deal. 
if you feel that you're still getting the same guy, you know, you got you could trade one of your, as I said, one of your day three picks and, and to sweeten it or give them, you know, something from the future. I don't know. I don't know what, what yeah. the, the value proposition is going to be. Now, if it's somebody coming up, you think about when you made the trade from 10 all the way down to, you know, if somebody's coming up from a little farther back, then yeah, right? And you think about when you made yeah. the trade with Houston, you ended up getting a, a, a future one. You traded down from 10 when they came up to get Deshaun Watson. If, for example, two was on the board. Yeah, that's well, right. Yeah, that, I'm sorry, that was hard to even hear again. The um, when when you think about the the bottom, I'm trying to think down here. Is there anybody in the bottom where there would want to have to come up and get a guy? Um, I mean, Vikings at 22, would they want to get to the front of the receiver conversation? They could after they made their trade. They've got obviously the right. ammo to do so. You know, could the Patriots want to move up to get a, a quarterback? There was remember there was talk they were going to try to move up for Baker Mayfield. With if Tua's yeah. there, are they a team that would want to move up and try to get Tua? So you, you don't know till you're on the clock. But even if you moved back five spots and you felt pretty good with this draft, you know that hey maybe the Jets. I would think if you move from ten, we'll call it what to fifteen or 16 in the case of with the Denver Broncos that you're saying to yourself, all right, the jets could take a tackle. The problem is I think the bucks will take a tackle as well. That's why for the Browns to go behind the bucks, I think it's gotta be, you either have to have three of the tackles on the board at 10 or two yeah. of them. And you've got to feel real good about the guys behind or your compensation is so good that you're willing to risk it. Cause that's where it gets interesting right now. You know, though, if, if, for example, in Peter Strager's most recent mock that he just put out, yeah. worse goes four, and there are three tackles on the board at 10, which leaves enough tackles for the Jets to take one, for the the Bucks to take one, and you still to get your guy at 15. The Niners are not going to be taking a tackle, no. uh, and I don't believe the Raiders will be taking a tackle either. So you, in that case, you could make that move, pick up an asset, and still be guaranteed one of those top four. Now, here's the other thing to think about. It's quite possible on our board – and maybe those top four aren't the top four. Sure. Yeah. Sometimes no, it's that's completely subjective. Every, every team has their own view of it. So sure. You know, you might say, "Oh, well, there's two of them gone," but we might say, "No, we there's three guys that we love that are still yeah. left." So it's hard to figure out how it is, but there is a sense when, I, especially when I was talking in Denver yesterday, that the Broncos want to get ahead of the Jets because their belief is the Jets are taking a receiver, which would make right. sense. Right, because you've got Sam Darnold there. You just let Robbie Anderson leave in free agency. Yeah, they're sitting there at eleven, and they would get probably the first or I mean, Rugs or Judy. The, yeah, it could be a Ceedee Lamb, Jerry Judy situation there for them at eleven. Right. Yeah, yeah, it could it could very well go that way. Going to be fun. Uh, a week from tomorrow, the first round of the NFL draft. A couple of minutes from right now, we'll be joined by a legend. Our good buddy Eric Metcalf going to join the show, talk about the new uniforms, the good old days, and all of the fun things. Go ahead, Z. You have one thing before we go to break? Yeah, so this is uh, uh, an interesting one, is that NFL ne Network's Ian Rappaport, since we were just talking about, reports, quote, there is some buzz the Browns will trade back from 10 with an eye on selecting Boise State offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland. Uh, Dane Brugler, echoing that sentiment, says it would be the least surprising move on draft day. Well, those are two guys that are pretty dialed in. You would think. Certainly. Yeah, you never know. This is liar's poker, though, right now. That's the other thing to remember. It's a lot of misdirection here uh, a week out, certainly. Um, all right. 
Coming up next, Eric Metcalf, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back to Cleveland Browns Daily. Bill Bishop, Nathan Spiro with you on a Thursday edition of the program, and it is a great privilege to be joined on the hotline by our good buddy and Browns legend Eric Metcalf. And uh, boy, Eric, this was so cool for us to, to see the uniform unveil yesterday. And I, it's interesting. The I actually uh, the the Browns were kind enough to send me a, a Denzel Ward twenty one, but I couldn't help but think that of you wearing that number, certainly, sir. Uh, what were your impressions uh, of the of the new jerseys and harkening back uh, to one very similar to what you used to wear? I was excited. I mean, it looks so good to me because it's a, it's just traditional. I'm, I like traditional uniforms. Just a, it's like a, a throwback and in going into the future. And I just love the way it looks and how those players would look in it. Eric, before I, I continue, I, our chief strategy officer, Paul D. Podesta, speaking right now, was asked about the Odell Beckham trade rumors and opened his conference by saying it's completely false and we are not yeah. trying to move Odell Beckham, which is what we've been saying here on the program yes. for a couple of days now. But back to those unis, Eric, and what, what, what stood out to you about them? When you saw them, what was kind of that initial reaction? What were you digesting? What did you love that you saw? See, my, my first, my initial reaction was I was good in that. And so when I felt when I think that when I think that that's when I know a uniform's cool because when I stepped on the field I thought about how I looked before I went out there to play and and I and I when I think about how they were uh, put together this uh, this year um, I just think about the tradition the, the the people who play with me the Bernies all those guys Jim Brown those guys and and how that uniform is just it's just iconic and it's, it's something I feel like should should never be changed and I mean. I know a lot of people are, are clamoring over they want the orange pants, but I, I'm not an orange pan, pants uh, fan. I like the traditional one color and, 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 and white and, and go from there. You know, Eric, you're, you're, uh, if you think about the two brands you played, your, your most memorable football, and obviously you're great with the Falcons as well, but University of Texas is, is pretty dang iconic with the burnt orange and white, and then you go straight to the brown. So orange has a special spot in your heart, and, and, and brown, frankly, uh, with, with both of those teams. But what I think is cool about if you play at the University of Texas and you're recruited there and you put on that jersey, and it looks really similar to the one Ricky Williams wore or the one that Earl Campbell wore, and I think that is what we got back with this uniform is is that when Denzel Ward puts on that 21, it looks exactly like the one you wore. And if you think about that, if you want to go back further, it's going to look very similar to the one Paul Warfield wore. And there's value to that, I think, in brand. And I think there's value to that for an organization. And I think it matters from the player's perspective uh, that they can look the way Jim Brown looked. I think that matters. Does it or am I full of it? Oh, no, you're right. You're right on it because uh, I have been thinking that like, I have been able to play for two teams that pretty much wear traditional uniforms. I've always worn the same uniform, and, I, and I'm into that. And I like the fact that, you know, players change, but, but teams don't change, uh, organizations don't change. And you, when you love, say, the Cleveland Browns, you love what they've always stood for, and that's, that's tra- the tradition that's come up with all the players from years past and, and moving forward. And when you have those iconic uniforms that are – that look similar to those that were worn in the past is something that you can always keep no matter who's playing because the jerseys look the same. 
All right, we know about these traditional ones, and we said we've said, look, it's important for these guys to to win in these because of what you just talked about—that continuity for the icons—and it is an iconic franchise. But what do you think about what I'm calling the brownouts, those color rushes? I think you would have looked fast in those, Mister Metcalf, real fast in those brownout uniforms. No, no, I appreciate that one. Now, the now the the, the color rush—I I think I could dress up nicely. But but it's it's, it's, it's orange pants. I didn't think I could do it, but I, I think they'll look real good in those uh, in those the new color, especially without the stripes. I like it better without the stripes because it just looks a lot more sleek. It does Eric, now. Go ahead, Z. I was going to say, Bo mentioned earlier that you've been with some iconic franchises, and I, I felt a little bit uneasy at how he glossed over a period of your time there with the Atlanta Falcons when you were wearing what I thought were beautiful uniforms, playing with a, a gunslinger of epic proportions, and Jeff George you know, lighting up scoreboards all over the NFL, part of a great trivia question. Yeah, Shameful. shake your head, Bo, but to disrespect that time is hurtful to many. And myself, and I'm sure Mr. Metcalf as well, because they had a lot of fun in that run and shoot down there with June Jones. But when you saw the Falcons uniforms and they keep keeping that one off to the side, aren't you like, man, why why is that not the unis? You guys look great in those. Oh, we did, but then you have to really think about, you know, at one time with Steve Barkowski and those guys, they wore red. And red. The red looked good too, yeah. And, and everything, they looked good. And so they, 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 they flipped back and forth. And, and so that's, I did like wearing that, that black. With, with the with the gray pants and and the black helmet, but when it's all said and done, I like I, I like uniforms that you can when it, you can go to all white, and I and I like because I feel like I can I can really look fast in all white. So I like the teams that have uniforms that are all white. And the Falcons didn't have that back then when I played, right? And, and the Browns and the, and the Browns do, and, and and I love being in that uniform. I don't think it's any coincidence because one of the most iconic uniforms in all of college football is Texas in all white. It's just right. un- it's so spectacular. It's so clean. So I I can imagine how early on that was something you identified with, my friend, and said, you know what? We look. I always felt like Texas looked so fast in those things, man. Jamal Charles and that thing looked like he was running a thousand miles an hour, and anybody that that wore that all white at Texas seemed like it worked. Oh yeah, that's the, the, the tidy whities as we call them. Yeah, you know <laughs> the the ice white, especially you know from head to toe, and so you know it, it's something that when you step on that field, everybody everybody knows. What what it is? I mean, you don't have to change the uniforms. It says Texas across, Texas across the front, and and horns on the side. Everybody knows what that means. Just like when we're all white uh, as a, as a Cleveland Brown, we yep. go out there and we got an orange helmet. Whether it be white face mask, gray face mask, or, or brown face mask, you know that's Cleveland Browns. You don't have to worry about oh, did they change their uniforms? And that that's you know that's what I really like about uniforms like this. Yeah, it's that classic feel. It's knowing that, yeah, it, that's what it's supposed to look like. And I think that that was what some people, you know, didn't like the last few years. That they, when you talk about those iconic things, as Bo's pointed out, and from the college level to the pros, certain teams have certain uniforms. And, and I think for the Browns, you know, they've identified a, a, a pair here that they don't need to change, maybe ever, because yeah, that's the Browns. That's what the Browns are supposed to be. Uh, right. And, and, you know, and, and it hasn't really changed much from – you know, other than the past couple of years, but like one years when we passed, it almost looked exactly the same. And that's, and that's what I like is just moving forward. Of course, the fabric gets better and how it's made, it always improves and everything like that. But the classic look is what we're looking about. I'm looking for. I know all, a lot of fans love the fact that we're going back to the, to the old school. And, and of course everyone says, but now we have to win games, but 
Yeah. Wouldn't you feel good about winning games in in the traditional uniform? I think I would. I mean, I, I yeah. would. I would hope the fans yes. and, and the players would really appreciate the fact that they're wearing a uniform that has won in the past. I, I think it matters. I think winning matters. I, I was thinking about, you know, your career. You were such a unique player uh, when you were so great here, and then had the had the great years, obviously, with Atlanta afterwards. Um, and and I think about if if you were playing today, how you would fit in today's game. Um, and I, I think about the way that we put guys in motion, the way we put guys in space. Uh, do you think about that often? Obviously, you had a tremendous career, but but if you, if it were to come twenty years later, what does it look like? Have you, do you ever do you ever think about that? It looks like I'm holding out because I'm going to ask for Christian McCaffrey money. <laughs> I saw McCaffrey get that 16. I'm thinking Metcalf would have liked that. I mean, you know, because that, that, I don't really ever compare myself to other players, but I, I like to look at players who do things that are similar to things I've done. And, you know, when you have guys like Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, guys who catch the ball and run the ball, especially in the, today's game, the way they play today, I'm like, Dang, I wish I could have played today. Not not only for the fact that you get paid a lot of money, but the the many the, the amount of opportunities I would have gotten to get the ball, whether it be, you know through running the ball, receiving it, and and then uh, the kicks and the punts. Absolutely. I mean, McCaffrey touched the ball over 400 times. You know, I, I'm friends uh, and worked with in the past a guy that I think had a similar game to yours. And, and Bo, the question you just asked, Eric Metcalf, Brian Westbrook has thought about many, many times. <laughs> I can tell you in my conversations with him that he's like, he's, he's, he's and he was great in his time, but he's like, man, if I was playing now, and he, you guys had very similar games, Eric, where you know you were those dual threats, and they can find a way to get the ball in your hands, you know, three hundred plus times a year, but you don't have to take necessarily three hundred plus poundings as if it was all carries, you know, and you can protect your body a little more. You know, it's, it's just the way the game has evolved. I mean, you know, when when my dad was playing in the league, he was considered a very small guy, and and they didn't want to pound him up in there 25 times a, a, a game running the ball. And so he caught balls like that. Then it changes, and, you, you know, you get another a lot of big guys, and everybody wants to play smash mouth football. But now these guys have evolved basically from the run-and-shoot, air-raid type of offense and spread the field out and, and giving smaller guys who can do a lot of things uh, more opportunities so they can stay on the field more because there's, there's so much space. And when you have – three, four, five wide receivers out there and someone in the backfield who's just like a wide receiver, I, I would be willing to bet that, that my four or five guys are better than your four or five DBs, and that's why offenses are flourishing like they are. Eric, what was, um, for those of us who weren't either here at the time or were too too young to remember, um, what was it like uh, to play on, on a Browns team that, that and you played on a lot of a lot of good teams, but that was uh, a team that had aspirations for the Super Bowl and those type of things, and to host a playoff game at, at then Cleveland Brown Stadium, and now it'll be First Energy Stadium. Unfortunately, we haven't had enough of those, um, and we think we have an idea of how magical it will be. But you lived it. Uh, what what was that? What was that time like? Oh, oh, it was a wonderful time. I mean, you know, coming out of coming out of Texas, where I never even won a conference championship, and to, and to go to the playoffs. In, in my mind, I'm I'm thinking. I'm going to the Super Bowl. I, in fact, I even bet uh, Reggie Langhorn and Webster Slaughter that I was going to be Super Bowl MVP that year. And uh, and so we, we just knew that we had the team that could go to the Super Bowl if everything went right. We had beaten Denver that year in the uh, in the regular season. Unfortunately, we lost in the AFC Championship. But, but just 
But just having a team and an organization that's on the cusp of, of winning like that is, is, is really special in, in, in Cleveland and Northeast Ohio because when you're winning like that and when you have a, a team like that, the fans are behind you. There's nothing more you want to do than go out there and, and play, not only for your teammates and, and, and your family, but the, the, the city of Cleveland because the fans there deserve it. Boy, do they. And I know it's been a pretty exciting, you know, offseason, I think, for the Browns so far. What do you make of some of the moves? And, you know, last year, look, we had all the hype. It didn't work out. But we're going to have a lot of talent again on this team, a new regime under Kevin Stefanski. How are you feeling right now headed into this draft, headed into this season? I feel real good. I mean, I felt good last year. And, I mean, of course, it was the first year and things didn't work out. But I think we have a head coach and staff in place that will – that knows how to win and has been there uh, with different types of teams. It's been the same team, but he's been there with different types of teams. So he knows how to manage all this talent that we have and, and put it out there and, and, and win games. So I think now that everybody knows that you can't just go out there and win because of the team we have on paper, I think guys will, will dial in and be willing to go out there because they know that they have something to prove as well. Eric, it's great talking to you, man. Thank yes. you so much for your time, and uh, uh, be lo- always good when we see you around. It's it's good 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 to catch up with you, my friend. All right, thanks for having me. Uh, that is the great Eric Metcalf joining us uh, here on the program. Final segment up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cooking is hard. Delivery is easy. So order takeout or delivery at buffalowildwings.com or through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app. Get award-winning wings, over 24 sauces, seasoning delivered hot and fresh and straight to your house or from their delivery partners at DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats, subject to availability. Certainly on that front, had it yesterday. Spectacular. It's awesome. It's great to have and uh, uh, really easy. The kids absolutely devoured it. Uh, are you seeing this stuff from uh, Governor DeWine's press conference today, folks, just to get you some information uh, in terms of what's happening on the, the COVID-19 coronavirus fight? Governor DeWine uh, is talking about opening up uh, the, the state of Ohio for business on May 1st. Uh, with obviously there will be some restrictions, but that the, the we will go back to some sort of business. It will not be business as usual. It will be business of the new norm, uh, but that it could come as early as May 1st. So that's that's pretty good. What is What do you mean by this? Tell me more. That's all I have, um, and that, that appears to be all he said, but that he's, he's pointing for uh, that day and that it's the he, – he quoted, um, quoted Churchill – uh, with a quote of this isn't the end or the beginning, it's the be- it's the end of the beginning uh, of the coronavirus fight. And that um, his feeling is that um, let me get the exact quote for you here. He says, uh, I am optimistic. I'm an optimist and confident that Ohioans will also live to the challenge of doing things differently as we open back up beginning on May 1st. Life will not resume to normal for a while. We all have to continue taking precautions and protecting the most vulnerable Ohioans, seniors and those with pre-existing and chronic health conditions. Um, and so that is, uh, let's see. Doesn't that seem a bit, what, a bit soon? Well, unless unless there's you know unless the testing's coming along fast, and all of a sudden you can rapidly test people. I know like Germany's going back. Uh, I think it's May fourth, but they're testing seven hundred thirty-five thousand people a day, um, or, or a week rather in in Germany. So maybe the testing's come a long ways. Uh, I hope Dr. So. Amy Acton says face masks will be a big part of our future. Don't underestimate the power of uh, donning your face mask. Um, so 
you know, it'll be interesting to see what this is. But this is the first. I'm I'm a little surprised that there are that they put a date a, a date on it uh, this far out. Obviously, we're a couple of weeks out. Uh, Acton says about 15 minutes ago, the path ahead will consist of several phases. There are a lot of things that you can do to help us continue to flatten the curve, such as great hygiene and wearing a face mask while out in public. Okay, I'm guessing that. Good. Listen, I'm all for good news. Yeah, me too, man. Let's go. Me too. Yeah, you saw the PGA Tour news from today that they have June committed June dates. Uh, the first four dates, no, uh, no crowds. But I know, like Mirfield in Dublin was in down in the Columbus area was moved to July 13th through the 19th, and as of right now, they're still selling badges uh, for that. So they're hoping that there will be some sort of crowd in attendance for that one. I think that's a little optimistic, but but we'll see. This is good. Listen, it, it it's so good. good. These are these are all good things. I'm very I'm I'm digging it. I keep, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's hard to imagine it as snow falls around us that we're getting good news, but I guess that's the way that it comes here on this Thursday. And I'll take it. One week out from the draft. We May first, that's like correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but isn't that like two weeks two away? Weeks. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So that's good. We but it's the one thing about it is is the reason that that we that things haven't been what they were projected to be a month ago we've is because been doing we've done this. this. We've made the sacrifice, yeah. Uh, you know, to get to this point where it was where it was something that that was manageable uh, going forward. And the more and more you hear from various sports leagues, uh, and I think uh, nosy, nosy, nosy at this point. All right, very good. I'll close out the show on my own at this point. Luckily, we have a stream so I can see that Dr. Z is off the show for the final segment of the show. But I, uh, the last point I was going to make was the the point from Dr. Fauci yesterday when he said uh, that there is a simple way to get back. It's straightforward. It's it's quarantining. It's testing weekly, and it is um it is it is that that's the way that it's going to be. And Major League Baseball probably ought to try and do that. And uh, I know that the NBA and NHL are working to do that. And football, we haven't had to yet. Um, we've sat. We lose a little bit in terms of OTAs and those things, but in terms of losing our game product to this point we haven't had to do that yet and we have a long way before we play games that that matter in front of hypothetically fans and so that's a long ways where science can do some magic and get some things sorted out and and i think the news today from the governor that uh looking to open ohio back up on may 1st is certainly a positive one i was uh i did not know that it would be i would i'm hopeful that it would be that soon but i'm surprised that it is pleasantly surprised uh, that it is and hopefully we keep doing what we're doing and so we get that big payoff fun little program for you guys today we're back tomorrow for more fun the next level is coming up next thanks for listening guys Cleveland Browns Daily 850 ESPN Cleveland you've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR